from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is Next Round, a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we move forward as a drinks business following the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Eric Liedholm. He's the distiller at Wildwood Spirits Company and wine director for John Howie Restaurants here in the Seattle area. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great, as the loaded question goes. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. all things considered, pretty good. Thanks. Asking how people are doing is a habit I have yet to be able to break. Uh, COVID, six months of it has not broken it uh, out of me. Yet, so. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what else can you say? Yeah, I don't know. So let, let well, you can drink, which is what we're really here about. Exactly. So, um, so let, let's start by talking a little bit about Wildwood Spirits Company. Uh, I'm familiar, but many of our listeners probably are not. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you got started distilling and uh, what you currently offer at Wildwood? Sure. Uh, I got uh, started distilling like most. I was a hobbyist. I tinkered, I dabbled, and had a 50-liter pot still that I bought in Portugal and made some grappa uh, through, I guess, the time I moved to Seattle in the early 2000s and just kind of made moonshine in the backyard. And and over the years, I, I didn't become blind or kill anyone or myself. Uh, and so it progressed into something beyond a hobby. And my current business partner, John Howie, uh, got a taste of uh, a grappa I made one year and, and asked if I'd like to take it to, a, to another level business-wise. And I was kind of hesitant at first. Um, but uh, I, got, I kind of jumped into it on a more kind of cerebral level. And um, I went to the Institute of Brewing and Distilling to become quote-unquote legit, uh, and uh, it took off from there when I got a, a, a master distiller's title, and that kind of gave me a little more confidence to, to dive into a, a more heady project with John, and uh, that it kind of went from there, and in 2014, we opened Wildwood Spirits Company. We make uh, gin, vodka. Uh, when we're feeling particularly masochistic, we make grappa. And then um, we make, at the moment, we've released uh, a straight bourbon whiskey, and we'll look forward to releasing a really interesting hopped whiskey, five-year-aged, next February. And uh, next summer, we'll have uh, an Irish whiskey, which will be three years in the barrel, and uh, we'll kind of... In a sort of a synchronous way, we'll release our coffee-conditioned uh, whiskey. Yeah, so so let's talk about that because uh, I had the opportunity to taste the one one part of that project, which is the the uh, bourbon or the barrel-aged coffee beans. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on them in a minute, but I'm just sure. curious if you can talk a little bit about that project and and how that came to be. Yeah, well, Seattle is kind of like Mayberry with skyscraper. And everybody knows what everyone else is doing. And uh, a few years back, I did a, a piece for the Wall Street Journal with uh, Letty Teague and Starbucks. And it was a comparative kind of analysis of coffee versus wine. And what are the similarities? What are the differences? Uh, and so we tried to create a geosynchronous orbit with both. And when that piece ran, the the vice president of global coffee for Starbucks, uh, Craig Russell, um, was interested in it, obviously, being with Starbucks. And when he left, 
he uh, called me and knew that I was doing this uh, whiskey thing and asked if I'd be interested in, in working with him on kind of conditioning some coffee and conditioning uh, a barrel. And so it was this interesting uh, collaboration. Gotcha. And so, you know, when it comes to this whole process, how, how first of all, let's let just, just walk me through what the sort of barrel conditioning process is for the coffee beans. Sure. Well, he, he, their company, Novus uh, Coffee Imports, they source coffee from uh, smaller growing areas uh, around the world. And what's important to them is that there's some sustainability, in fact, all sustainability and uh, kind of working a lot of off-farm development and helping communities that might not otherwise get a shot. Uh, and so they invest in those small rural areas that grow really great coffee. And so they send a bunch of people around to find these folks and their coffee beans and then create these long-term contracts with them to import the coffee. And so they, this particular coffee was, it's all Arabica uh, and it is uh, from Indonesia and what they do is they get these green beans and they, in a sense, kind of age it in one of our used uh, dark door bourbon barrels for uh, nearly a month. They take those beans out, they roast them, and then put them back in to the barrel. And uh, after they've been in for a week, kind of percolating as roasted beans in the barrel, they're emptied and then um, sourced. To, to us right now, we have it for sale at the tasting room in Bothell, and then we have it in all of our John Howie restaurants uh, in the form of a French press, or you could get a cold brew. Gotcha. And so, what you know, was there a trial and error here in terms of figuring out things that might go into, like you know, this, whether it's the specific source of the beans? You know, obviously, I'm not a coffee expert, but obviously, you know, beans from different parts of the world definitely have different flavor profiles. And and then in the roasting process as well, you know, kind of how much, how many, how many iterations were there uh, roughly before you landed on whatever you're selling now? It was, it was basically me relying on, on Craig's expertise in, in coffee, and um, we gave him an inkling of, of what our bourbon was like, and then he tried some bourbon, and then we tried to synchronize with uh, you know finding the best match. And uh, it happened to be this Indonesian uh, bean, and so they put 100 pounds into one of our 53-gallon barrels. And um, we were real happy with, with how it turned out. I think there, you know, there was a, a nice kind of give and take, almost like the esterification that happens when spirit's in the barrel. Um, it was really interesting to see how those green beans reacted to what was left in the barrel. And it'll be interesting to see in, in you know, a little over six months what happens to an Irish-style whiskey that's been kind of infiltrated with this, uh, this coffee essence. Yeah, so I, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about is sort of more broadly, this sort of marriage of coffee and, and spirit. And, you know, I think, you know, whether it's a Spanish coffee or, you know, uh, an espresso and a, and a shot of grappa or whatever, like there's lots of different kind of cultural touch points uh, for for coffee plus booze, but you're doing something a little different. You know, is, is, is that combination, you know, what, what appeals to you about that combination? Well, I, I think, you know, Seattle is, is a, a, a coffee-driven culture. And I think from a, from a 
just an economic sense, it seemed to be a smart move. But from just a, a creative um, side, uh, we thought it would be really interesting to see what the result would be. Um, and we think it's going to be pretty pretty interesting. I, I think one of the the kind of touchstones of the aromatic profile of, of a lot of bourbons is that torrefacion, you know, that, that roasted coffee essence. And so this is introducing it in a much more kind of primal way. And I, that interplay between that charred oak barrel, um, what whiskey was left in there, and then the roasting of the, of the coffee beans, I think it'll be a really interesting uh, thing to experience. Have you have you done anything like making cocktails with both the coffee beans in some you know brewed form or cold brew or whatever, and some of the bourbon? Yeah, we have we we, we have one um, we call uh, Vakken A. <laughs> Vakken in Swedish means uh, awake, and uh, we use uh, our uh, our whiskey. We use a little cold brew. We use some chocolate bitters, um, and um, and just a touch of vermouth, sweet vermouth. And then we, we stir it on ice and then strain it and pour it in a, a cocktail glass and garnish with an orange twist. Gotcha. Uh, and it's real nice. It's, a, it's, it's a kind of a nice interplay between all the elements of each of the ingredients. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can imagine that being tasty. You guys were kind enough to send me a sample of the beans, but you could have definitely included a sample of that cocktail. <laughs> okay. All right. I owe you one. You got it. Let's let's talk a little bit about the distillery kind of in in the in this sort of period of time because you know one of the things that's that's interesting always been interesting to me about this uh, venture of yours is that you know you mentioned you partner with John Howie who is a uh, very successful restaurateur here in the the greater Seattle area and obviously this has been a very weird challenging time for restaurants we can talk about that if you want I don't necessarily feel like we have to dive into it but it, to what extent has COVID kind of, has it changed any of the realities for the distillery itself? Um, you know, obvious, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm assuming that, you know, uh, some of the volume that might've been going through the restaurants is not happening at the moment. So, so what has it been like for you and, and for your team? Yeah. Well, from on the, when I put my distiller's hat on, uh, what's changed is where the spirits are going. It's not necessarily going so much to restaurants as it is retail. What restaurants aren't buying now, the retail segment is. And we've seen a significant increase in retail sales as well as online sales. So, um, you know, fortunately, uh, this odd COVID bubble that our distilleries in, we, we seem to have been, been a little bit safe from an economic standpoint. Um, we've, uh, we've adapted in some ways to help with what's happening and that we make sanitizer for King County Metro. Uh, and we produce sanitizer to give away for anyone who buys some of our spirits. Um, and we donate then the money that we get. We, we, we ask for a $10 donation. We give them a bottle of sanitizer and that goes to big table Seattle, which is a hospitality relief fund. Um, so we've adapted in that way at the distillery. Um, unfortunately the restaurants aren't in a, an economic bubble. Um, you know, the restaurants uh, got stimulus from, you know, the federal government. It was, a, I think, a, a step in the right direction, but it was sluggish even when we did get it. The, the PPP loan is, is great, and they, they adapted 
the federal government adapted to restaurateurs' needs to some extent, but but now there needs to be a little bit more double dipping uh, for all restaurants because uh, we are faced with what I think is extinction uh, as we know restaurants today, at least in fine dining. Um, as, you know, as you know, Zach, I mean, the industry is a nexus between so many others. And without additional government aid, uh, the spread of this current collapse, I think, is going to be too much to really recover from. Um, things, things are not going to be the same again. And so there's really no reset button. Uh, and if there is a reset button, it's going to be a reinvented industry. So I, I think that the classic restaurant industry financial model is, I think it was on shaky ground before COVID-19. And uh, now it's just going to have to be a completely re-envisioned financial model for, for restaurants. You know, this is, a, this is a tsunami without water. Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly the case that uh, one of the things that we've seen across, you know, all parts of this broader industry is that, you know, in many ways, COVID has acted as an accelerant um, to trends that might have already existed. I, I'm wondering, though, you know, you, you mentioned this sort of idea that the distillery itself has been, you know, able to pivot to more, um, you know, off-premise sales to to online um, one thing that we've definitely talked to some other distillers about is a, a real issue for them, a limiting factor for them being that for in the most part, for the most part, they can't ship out of state, that they may have a hard time getting into the broader distribution networks um, it, within the country with, you know, larger distributors or even smaller distributors. You know, are you are you feeling you don't, certainly don't have to go into too much detail, but are you are you worried about sort of um being able to find markets outside of Washington state, or is that something that you're able to do at the moment? Well, uh, right now, I mean, our, our net is, is uh, very small and that's deliberate. Um, but we do, you know, we, we did receive one of the golden tickets from FedEx. And so we, we do ship out of state to those that allow us to do so. Uh, so we, we do ship out of state, but not in a, a, a high volume. Um, uh, we are, um, expanding the distillery into Ballard um, to a facility where we'll just produce the brown spirits and our, our distillery in Bothell will just do the clear spirits and, and maybe some fruit brandies down the, down the road. Um, and when that happens, we look to uh, create a much larger net and, and have someone on board who can cast it for us. Um, gotcha. So right now we're just kind of testing the waters out of state. And it's going great. Um, and we can only produce so much in our little 1,200 square foot footprint. And so um, it, it works fine right now. Um, but as we expand, our, our, as I said, the net is going to have to be pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited about to hear about that expansion because uh, as someone who lives in Ballard currently, it'd be nice to be able to uh, not have to drive to Bothell to uh, taste the spirits. So. I know. And I'll be able to actually walk. I'll be able to walk to work. Because I live yeah. in Ballard too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. I have I have just sort of one last question. Um, I think about the sort of broader um, trends that you're seeing, and, and because you know, uh, as mentioned in the introduction, you know, and for those of you who don't know, Eric is. A, a, I don't know, a maniac doesn't, I don't think Eric sleeps. Maybe that's what all that, that's why getting involved in coffee was maybe a good choice for him. Exactly. But, uh, but like, uh, you know, you, how are you coping with not 
like not being on the floor of a restaurant. I can't imagine this has got to be the longest you've gone without doing that. And probably, or maybe you are still doing it. I guess there could be, you could be doing outdoor dining. I'm not sure actually what John Howe's doing, but, but regardless, it's got to be different. How are you kind of personally coping? Um, it, it, I have to tell you, Zach, it really kind of rattled me. Um, I, I, full disclosure, I, I mean, I really have kind of a desk job and, uh, when I'm at the restaurants and, uh, the story, it's much more hands-on, but I, 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 I rely on a really talented group of, of sommeliers at John Howie Steak and Seastar to kind of carry the load as far as service goes. Um, one of my sommeliers was needed some time off, and so I covered for him. And uh, so I, I had my first taste of what it's like, you know, in the COVID-19 restaurant fine dining era. And our restaurants uh, can accommodate up to 25% <laughs> indoors. And it was extremely weird. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, it was, it was kind of emotional from the standpoint I'm, I'm standing six feet away from a table with a mask on and pretend, you know, trying to have a giant smile that they could somehow see behind my mask. Um, but it, it was just, it was incredibly odd. And, uh, I tried to be seemingly comfortable at the table, but I really wasn't. It's just not a, it's, it's not comfortable. And I, I can't imagine it's terribly comfortable for uh, a diner as well. I mean, people go out to eat to be entertained. I mean, for the most part, in the old days when they did review restaurants, they always uh, reviewed it in the entertainment section and not the food section. Um, I mean, that's people. People look at at dining and hospitality as as entertainment, and it's hard to be entertaining when you have a mask on uh, and and to follow protocol. We, we go to our utmost to make sure that uh, we make our guests feel comfortable and safe. Um, but comfortable and safe is, is different from hospitality and, and to some extent. Yeah, it's certainly at this time, you're, you're, you're kind of having to sacrifice a lot of the, the things that we commonly consider, you know, yeah, hospitable to, to make sure that, yeah, people are not getting sick. Um, yeah. Are you one, I guess I have one last restaurant question for you, sure. which is like, you know, as best you can tell, are, are, is what people are ordering on the beverage side distinctly different than in previous years? Or, or are you seeing any trends in terms of, I mean, obviously, you know, most of this has been summer, so you're going to see the sort of summery beverages, whatever they are. But like in general, does it feel different in terms of any, in any way? Or is it a standard product mix, just maybe less of it? Or it, Well, it, it's a lot less um, from, uh, you know, from regular rest well. <laughs> the new normal business um, capacity, but we've, you know, to get cash flow, we're, we're selling a lot of our sellers um, at, at some points when we do these little seller sales, they're really at cost at the time we purchased the wine and Seastar has been open for 20 years. So we're selling wines that we bought back in 2000 at those prices, you know, and we, we have a to go license. So we, we have a little wine shop and, We've, we've been selling a ton of it. <laughs> uh, you know, when you can come in and buy a, a bottle of 1990 Chateau Reyes for 900 bucks, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And people take advantage of it. You know, I, I'm getting cleaned out of really allocated wines, um, you know, that a lot of, you know, John Q. Pub, public can't get. Um, so they're coming in and, you know, I, and I don't blame them taking advantage of, of you know, rare burgundies, uh, 
older Bordeaux's, hard to get Burgundies, and and you know, for us, we're getting cash flow. For them, they're getting really special wines. So that yeah. when we've seen a, a lot of that, <laughs> a lot. I bet. Yeah, it's true that people are definitely not uh, not not hesitating to take advantage. As I guess maybe you wouldn't sell it if you weren't if you didn't want to or at least didn't need to. And I guess that's. Yeah. I don't know something. But we, I, we you got to have cash flow, and when we have cash flow, we can keep our our employees um, employed and keep the lights on and pay our rent and pay our utilities and and hope that within the next couple of weeks there's a uh, another PPP loan out there for the for restaurants um, and and small businesses in general. You know they they need it. <laughs> we need it. All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Appreciate getting to try the the coffee too. And if you want to send on one of those bottles of Chateau Reyes too, I wouldn't say no. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. And I'll look forward to trying the uh, the coffee finished uh, Irish style whiskey next year when uh, when you do release that. So great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, be well. As always. Thanks, sir. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week. Please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.